Drilling Deep, another in the FreightWaves family of FreightCasts. I'm your host, John Kingston. We usually start out here on Drilling Deep with me riffing a little bit on what's happening with oil prices, oil markets, diesel prices. We're going to have plenty of time to do that a little later, so we will be getting to that in a few minutes. But right now, we're going to drill deep now into a new feature at FreightWaves, Future Rack, the forecasted rack price done in conjunction with DTN. You know, there are enough indicators in an oil market on any given day that point to where wholesale prices are probably going to be tomorrow or even later on that day when they go into effect. And in a market and an industry where advantages tend to get measured in really tiny increments, you know, rates that go up a nickel or two or good news, fuel costs that come down just a bit. This little bit of knowledge that you might have on where rack prices are going to be tomorrow, if used the right way, can be a significant advantage in the game of fuel acquisition. So we're happy here at Freight Waves to partner with DTN on this initiative. DTN has been working on predictive rack prices for several years, going back to a company called EMI that DTN acquired a few years ago. Scott Susich is one of the principals at EMI. He's now with us today on Drilling Deep. Scott, thanks for joining us. Thanks, John. Happy to be here. All right. Thanks. Remind us again of what your title is now at DTN. Yeah, I am the uh, Director of Data Analytics, and so I get to spend my time um, playing in big pools of all sorts of fun data. All right. So, And data is a lot of fun, isn't it? So it let's really start. Is. Let's start by talking about how rack prices get up, get set up. Uh, it's a sort of complicated process. There are multiple steps, uh, and uh, there are a lot of companies that are doing it out there. They're doing it down to really small increments of a tenth of a cent, et cetera, but it's all extremely important. So let's start with, let's say, a rack price for Exxon in Atlanta, and how do they do that? Yeah, you know, I think one of the first things that people that are not familiar with the process, um, I think the first thing to to really understand is that as much as we like to think of, you know, big oil and, and think of the oil companies as being, you know, these big capitalistic, greedy, money-hungry organizations, um, when it comes to pricing, it's really not like that. And you know, I don't want people to think that I'm just a, a shill for the oil companies because that's not the case. And and here's what I mean by that is that when we're looking at something like diesel fuel, it's a commodity. There is no difference between the gallon of diesel fuel that Exxon makes and the gallon of diesel fuel that Philip 66 makes. In fact, the same when it comes out of the refinery. It all gets commingled together in tanks and pipelines and the distribution system. And so by the time you get to Atlanta, the gallon of diesel fuel that you're taking out of a terminal that is being sold to you by Exxon, it, it could have been manufactured by Shell. It could have been refined by Marathon. It could have been uh, you know, merged and be an amalgamation of, of several different suppliers. Right. Now, let's let's point out, though, that if you go to an Exxon station, an Exxon, Exxon branded station, while the diesel fuel may have come out of, the, of a different refinery, Exxon usually will add some kind of additive to it that they will say makes things a little better. But it also really kind of marks it as an Exxon product. That, that's exactly right. At, the, the product is kept generic and, and the industry uses the term fungible. It's, it's kept generic through the distribution system up until we get to this 
um, distribution hub that we call a terminal or a rack. At that point, when it gets loaded onto a truck, especially if we're talking about gasoline, then you get a additive package that's put into it. And that's what makes and differentiates an Exxon product from a Shell product. Um, there's a little bit less of that. Um, when we're talking about diesel fuel, it does stay more of a generic product. Um, but you are there, the point of, of dispensing it into a vehicle, there are differences. But when we're backing up to the whole notion of establishing prices, we're really looking at this from a commodity standpoint. And the reason that I make that point is this. <clears throat> when you're dealing with identical products with the same characteristics, there's no reason why anybody would pay more for your product than they would from somebody else. And this goes for all commodities. If we're talking about yellow number two corn, a bushel of yellow number two corn is the same um, regardless of who you get it from. So despite popular beliefs, oil companies just can't sit down and say, let's see, how much can I stick it to the consumer today? Because if they're priced even a fraction of a cent higher than their competition, then their customers are just gonna to go to the competition. So I think that that's one of the first things to understand right out of the chute is that. Right, and, and, and then let me add that an Exxon owner, the owner of an Exxon station, he has to go to the Exxon rack, but if he's paying significantly higher prices than his competitors, he's going to scream and he's going to squawk and he's going to make their life miserable <laughs> in, the, uh, in their office. And uh, when their lease is up, they'll go somewhere else. Yeah, that's exactly right. There are contracts that dictate who um, they can buy from. Um, but, um, also you, you have stations and you, you know, anytime that you see a, a retail facility, whether it's a gas station or a truck stop, and you don't see any big, uh, major oil company brand name over the top of it, we refer to that type of a location as an unbranded location. And that means that they can essentially buy from whoever they want. And that's when you really get into this notion of where tenths of a cent or a quarter of a cent make a big difference. Right. So let's go back to our Atlanta station. Uh, they're going to be looking to Houston, right, for their prices. I know that sounds a little bizarre. Houston's many, many miles away from Atlanta. But if I'm the person setting the price for the Atlanta rack for Exxon or unbranded for some other company, uh, I'm going to be looking to Houston. Can you explain that? Yeah, you've got really about seven major pricing hubs that exist throughout the United States. And when we're looking at the southeast part of the United States, um, the main pricing emphasis is actually coming out of the Gulf Coast refining complex. And the regions of the country, um, what dictates which pricing hub they key off of has to do with the distribution system and the pipelines. So if we look at a market like Atlanta, and we want to trace and find out where does the fuel in Atlanta actually come from, we can follow uh, a pipeline called the Colonial Pipeline right back down to Houston. So anything that happens in Atlanta or any other location along the Colonial Pipeline is going to really get its genesis from what's going on in Houston at the Gulf Coast. All right. So now they sat down and they set their price. Uh, where does your 
your the freight waves, the freight waves DTN initiatives on forecasting that price. Where does that come in? Well, what we did is we we looked at the methodologies. We we looked at at really the mechanics behind pricing, and when it comes to forecasting, again, it is we can we can look at at the methodology behind how prices are made. And and to your point, so we know prices along the Colonial Pipeline that are going to be affecting Atlanta, we know that those prices are going to be driven off of the economics in Houston. And so that's one of the big variables that we're gonna look at. Um, And we're gonna look at the changes in the Houston market. What's happening there today that's going to dictate prices? Is the market right. and, and, also, and, and, and your firm is on that all day long? Yeah, yeah. So we're watching those things. We're we're looking at the supply and demand economics that are there. We're looking at things like what kinds of in shipments are coming in. Are there refining problems there? Um, are there are there refineries that are down on maintenance? Those types of things all affect the the supply and demand in that market, and therefore it's going to affect the price. So uh, when do you make this decision? When do you make this call? At what point of the day do you think you've got enough information that you can say, we think the price of diesel at the rack in Atlanta tomorrow will be X? We typically do that around 1.30 central time. Um, some of the other factors that go into it is we're going to be looking at trading on the New York Mercantile Exchange. Um, that's going to take in more of the global types of initiatives. Whereas when we look at Houston, it's more of a regional or a localized market, but you have to also factor in the global marketplace as well. So when you're looking at things like the coronavirus, um, believe it or not, that's going to have a huge impact on all sorts of things relative to business uh, trade between China and other countries which is all going to affect the supply and demand and flows of energy and and diesel fuel. And so as crazy as it sounds, something like the coronavirus at a global level can actually impact the price back down in our market of Houston, or I'm sorry, of Atlanta. So those things get factored in and and at about 1.30 p.m. Central Time is when we render our forecast of what the, the price will be for the following day. Right. So when that number's out there, let's say through FreightWaves, a FreightWaves Sonar subscriber, what? how can you take advantage of it? I'm assuming if you're an independent owner operator, you really can't do anything because you're buying retail um, at the retail point and you're paying whatever the price is. But if you're a larger company with a more professional, complicated fuel management program, I guess you could use this information and really take advantage of the this knowledge of where the price is going to be tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. Because a a lot of um, larger fleets are buying off of negotiated contracts. And oftentimes those negotiated contracts, the price is based on the cost of the fuel. And so when we are issuing a forecast of what that cost is going to be, it's essentially telling you what your price is going to be tomorrow. And With that knowledge, you can start to make a decision about when you're going to fill up and when you're not going to fill up. So if you have the knowledge, if you're 
you know, looking at, at buying fuel at nine or 10 o'clock at night, and you know that the price effective at midnight is going to be substantially cheaper, you can make a decision if possible to hold off until midnight when a new price would go into effect. Or maybe you only put on 50 gallons at nine o'clock at night, and that gets you enough to get to the next day in which you could take a big drink of fuel at a cheaper price. And you and you and you've been doing this enough years to know that people are working it this way. Yeah, definitely. And it it seems like it's um, you know at at the surface you you might look at something like this and say yeah, but can it really make that much of a difference? And it really can. Um, you know, there's a lot of things um, on the market that are supposed to help save you money on on fuel. There's all sorts of aftermarket uh, aerodynamic things that you can do to the truck and the trailer itself. There's fuel additives. There's, you know, there's a lot of different things. But one of the simplest things I've always said to people is the best way to save money on fuel is to just pay less for it to begin with. And so if armed with the information of knowing that the price today is X and the price tomorrow is Y, you can make an informed decision. Likewise, if you know that the price is going to go up at midnight, then it's prudent to top off your tanks today uh, and potentially avoid a, a price increase. If a trucking company can acquire its fuel at a rack-based number, as opposed to just doing a fuel surcharge through the DOE weekly retail price, again, as I mentioned before, it takes a lot more work. It takes a, a knowledge base, but in the long run, do you think that can pay off? I do. I do. Um, what happens is that the cost of the fuel, the the so a rack-based price of fuel, is going to be more volatile than what you see at the pumps. So the underlying price of fuel, the cost of that fuel may be moving up and down, um, but you really don't often see that reflected in the same level of volatility at the pump. And, yeah, and, and you know, let, let, let's point out that at, at FreightWaves, we have a chart, very popular chart, fuels.usa. It shows the average national retail diesel price versus the national wholesale price, the national rack price. And that spread right now is as wide as I've seen in the history of the uh, of the series. So right now there is no, uh, uh, really the, the, the truck driver, the, the shipper, anybody who's exposed to that price of diesel is not getting the advantage of that drop. Yeah, that's right. So what tends to happen is costs will move down. Um, at a far rap, more rapid pace than the retail price will move down. So retail prices will come down as costs move down, but they come down a lot slower. And it, it, actually the opposite happens as well when prices are moving up. Typically the cost is moving up faster than the retail price. But when you look at it throughout the year and you go back and you look at it historically, what you can determine is that by buying on a cost-related basis rather than at, at retail price typically will yield you savings throughout the year. 
All right. We want to thank Scott Susich for joining us today on Drilling Deep to talk about the forecasted rack price data series from FreightWaves that we at FreightWaves have put together in conjunction with DTN. Scott, you're an old friend of, of FreightWaves, even though we haven't been around that long and a, and a longer friend of mine. So we want to thank for joining us today here on Drilling Deep, part of the FreightWaves FreightCast series of podcasts. Always a pleasure, John. Thanks a lot. Thanks for that, Scott. We're excited, obviously, about this new rack forecasting product that Scott Seuss has just talked about, but I'm going to do a little bit of forecasting without it. My forecast is down, and I'm talking about the price of oil. Here are the numbers. The coronavirus might have cut Chinese demand by about 3 million barrels per day. That's about 3% of world demand. That is what is known as a demand shock. Demand shocks are less frequent than supply shocks because supply shocks can happen for so many reasons. There can be some kind of a war or some sort of civil action. There can be explosions in a facility, a key facility. A demand shock of 3% and happening this fast, that is very rare. So you go into this with the fact that the world was already expected to be oversupplied with oil this year without further cuts by OPEC. OPEC has been cutting out output for more than a year, but most of that has been because of Saudi Arabia's actions. The other countries that are supposed to contribute to the effort have been weak at best. Now, there's been one thing that's been offsetting all that for a few weeks, and that's Libya. Because of a civil war there, they've lost about 800,000 barrels per day of output, maybe a little bit more, but still compare that 800,000 to the maybe 3 million barrels per day of demand lost because of the coronavirus. And you can see that there's a really imbalance. Libya is not doing much of a job of, of balancing this market. So OPEC pulled its technical experts together a few weeks ago, and they recommended cutting 600,000 barrels per day off their current quota. Now, let's point out that because of the cuts the Saudis have made, OPEC already was about 330,000 barrels per day less than that quota. So all that's needed to make 600,000 barrels per day is another 270,000 barrels per day coming not just from OPEC's hides, but also coming out of the group of non-OPEC countries led by Russia that has been cooperating with OPEC for several years. And you know what Russia said so far to that recommendation? We'll think about it, which means that really they had thought about it. And they're going to take a pass. The Saudis are not going to do this all by themselves. They've already done quite a bit. So it's going to be a very interesting OPEC meeting in early March to figure out which way this group is going to go, given the collapse in demand out of China. So here's the good news. If you're a shipper or a carrier and you're exposed to the price of diesel, it's difficult to see a scenario in which the price moves significantly higher. If, in fact, the new rate of coronavirus cases has stabilized, which there are some signs of that, that might at least slow some of the decline. But even if that's the case, there's still a growing imbalance between supply and demand on top of an imbalance in the oil market that was going to mark 2020 anyway. So that's good news if you're a consumer. But if you're a trucker that's doing a lot of work in the oil patch between the fall in the price of oil and the fall in the price of natural gas, which has been even bigger than the price in the fall in the price of oil, you may very well need to make some tough decisions in the coming months. You know, the rig count, which is publicly available from Baker Hughes, it's less than perfect as a barometer of oil patch activity. But I think still it's probably the most visible sign out there, easily the one easily most accessed. Access, excuse me. It's down since the start of the year, but everyone should keep their eye on it to see just how much of a collapse in the energy sector the trucking and rail industries might be facing in the coming weeks. And that's it for this week's edition of Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston, for the FreightWave series of FreightCast podcasts. Thanks for listening, and please join us again.